0: The Old Boy Net by John Morton. Adapted by Richard Stone. Starring Benedict Cumberbatch as Horace Rumpel.
1: Rumpo Rumpo. Mm
2: exactly is so fascinating in your times that you fail to notice the marmalade that's dribbling down your waistcoat.
1: Hmm?
2: It's about to fall on your trousers. Oh, oh. there it goes.
3: Cole Porter has died.
2: Who? Oh,
3: God. The American composer. Well, did you ever... Did I ever what? In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked under something. My heart belongs to Daddy. I've got you. Rumpole. Under my skin. Oh,
2: shush! Rumpole. It's far too early for singing, if that's what you call that dreadful noise. And I've never heard of Colin Porker. Oh,
3: good God. Well, if you read the Times, you'd be much better informed.
2: About unknown Americans who've dropped dead? I'd rather stick to the Daily Telegraph and see what important events are happening in this country.
3: And what exactly is happening in this country?
2: Oh, Lady Carlton is leaving her husband.
3: And Lord Carlton's a lucky man.
2: Um, meaning? Well,
3: just... I I imagine Lady Carlton's behaviour's been outrageous, and he's better off without her.
2: Oh, you may be right. Though I do think married couples should stick together, no matter what.
3: A life sentence with no time off for good behaviour.
2: Quite so, Rumpel. Mm. I see Lord Carlton's three sons are all at Eton. Should Nicholas go there, do you think? (laughs)
3: Mr. Eton, don't be absurd.
2: He deserves a good start in life. He's only four. You have to put his name down early to have any chance of getting him in.
3: I'm sure we can get him into my old school.
2: He's not going to Linklater's. It's a lavatory. A lavatory with classrooms attached.
3: Which is why it's cheap.
2: Is that all you can think about? the cost of your son's education well
3: it is a consideration along with why on earth we'd want to send Nicholas to a boarding school in the first place don't you want to enjoy the sight of the little chap growing up here with us
2: if you're so keen on watching him develop tell me where he is at this very moment
3: isn't he sitting over oh, oh. where's he got him
2: He went to play with a little girl upstairs first thing this morning, and you didn't even notice he'd gone.
3: That's no reason to sentence him to 11 years in a penal colony.
2: Didn't you enjoy Linklaters? Oh, no,
3: let me see, Hilda. Um, With the wind blowing through the dormitories fresh off the Norfolk coast and the waters in the bogs always frozen, no. No, Hilda, I did not enjoy Linklaters.
2: But you made friends there. Friends who've helped you with your career.
3: I know of only one old boy from my school who's had anything to do with my career. Keith... What's-his-name, in the Lord Chancellor's office.
2: Can he help you take silk?
3: <clears throat> what?
2: If we're to afford the fees of a decent school, you'll have to improve the quality of your clients and earn much, much more. Write to Keith-what's-his-name, ask him what your chances are of becoming Queen's Counsel.
3: A queer customer? I'm far too young, and I can tell you now what my chances are. Well? Non-existent, Hilda. Non-existent. Non-existent. <laughs> As non-existent as the new briefs in my pigeonhole, which was filled, as usual, with circulars and manila envelopes. On Her Majesty's service, has do not, Gracious Queen, got anything better to do than keep writing me letters? Rumpo! Oh, God.
4: Have you heard the news?
3: I've done it. Then your only course is to plead guilty.
4: No, no. I've applied for silk. Claude Erskine Brown, QC. How do you think that sounds? Hmm,
3: pretty encouraging, if you're on the other side.
4: Oh, now, don't alienate me, Rumpole, or I won't take you on as my junior.
3: But if I'm a QC as well...
4: You, Rumpole, you, you're far too... Yeah? I was going to say hopeless.
3: How dare you,
4: you little... Excuse me. Well, hello.
2: I was looking for Horace Rumpole. Are you sure that's who you want, Miss, um... Trant de Trant.
3: Uh, I am. Uh, Horace Rumpole.
2: <laughs> then I believe you're my pupil, Master.
3: I, I, I am, am I, am I, am I, really? Uh,
2: yes. Yes, I believe so.
3: My new oh. pupil was a street laced young woman oh, with horn rimmed spectacles on the end of her delicate nose.
2: Yeah, we've
4: had very few women in these chambers. Our Clark Henry says we don't. Uh, have the toilet accommodation. But I, for one, am all in favour of female barristers. Some of them, I'm sure, are just as good as men.
2: Thank you. I think.
4: Are you certain you're happy with Rumpole? What? It's not too late to change your mind. Well, being a woman, you you know that it's never too oh, late Oh, do each.
3: bugger off, yeah. Erskine Brown. Miss Trant is mine, and I will teach her all I know. And what will you do this afternoon? <laughs> Come, Miss Trant, Are you ready for your first con? Con? Conference. I have only one case on the ball at the moment. If you'd like to take notes, you may learn something. Oh,
2: I am an unlessened girl, unschooled, unpractised. Happy in this, I am not yet so old, but I may learn.
3: Oh. Ah, <laughs> very good. do tell me. Hamlet. A line from Ophelia. It's the Merchant of Venice, you ignoramus. seems Miss Trant is the Portia of our chambers. <laughs> The Porsche of our chambers walked with me, away from the drooling Erskine Brown, towards my rather untidy but cosy little room. I told her about the case of R. V. Lee, Regina against Mr. Napier Lee. He was charged with running a disorderly house in Barnardine Square near Victoria Station. On top of that, there was something far worse, an accusation of blackmail. Which, as you
5: know, is the demanding of money with menaces. But I really uh, can't understand why anyone would say I do such a thing. My customers are such decent chaps. The public school, of course, and I do think that makes such a difference. You
3: appalling old snob, was what I thought, but didn't say.
2: Can I top you up, Mr. Lee, with some lapsang souchong?
5: If you can pour without spilling quite so much this time, yes. And I'll have a biscuit, dear. What can you offer me? Mr. Lee was the sort of man for whom the term luche might have been invented. His double-breasted pinstripe suit had seen better days, as had he. But the
3: leather brogues were as polished as his
5: vowels. All my visitors are thoroughly good sorts, Mr. Rumpole, from the absolute top drawer. Excellent jobs in the city, the civil service, because they went to decent schools, like me... I was at Lawnhurst. Do you know it? I know of it, of course. Academically excellent, but unforgiving if you didn't quite fit in with the rest of the
3: boys. Mr Lee, it may be very pleasant to sit here discussing the merits of the public school system, but you are charged
5: with obtaining money by threats from a man called... you. No, no, no. Please, Mr Rumpole. There's no need to name names. <sighs> Suffice to say, we're talking about a friend of mine. A man who went to Lornhurst, then New College Oxford, the Brigade of Guards, and, finally, the Foreign Office. I would have joined the Foreign Office myself, but I didn't quite have the parlez vous as it were.
3: Well, the gentleman in question, the alleged victim,
5: seems to have paid one of your gas bills. Yes, he was kind enough to help me out, bless him... When business was slack. And did you threaten to publicise his little
3: secret? Announce to the world how he liked to spend his evenings? Was the $64,000
5: question rejected with disdain by Mr. Lee? No, no, no. No, that would have been against the code. One never sneaks. And I really think that's all I can tell you, Mr. Rumpo. No, it's not. You can also tell me how on earth you got into this brothel business
3: of yours. You really don't look the type. The type. Well, I've met a number of madames
5: running houses of ill repute. None of them was a middle-aged gentleman in a suit and an old-school tie. It's not what I would choose to do, but I'm not permitted to practice any more in the profession for which I trained.
2: And what was that, Mr. Lee?
5: Is she allowed to ask me questions? Yes, she is, as long as she makes notes of the answers. Hmm. Your profession? Physiotherapy. These hands can work wonders. At least they used to work wonders. But there were some unfounded accusations from men who should have known better, and I had to look elsewhere for regular income. I ran into a friend in a bar in the West End, and we talked about the possibility of setting up a business catering for the nicer sort of customer, for people I knew on the old boy net.
3: Was this friend by any chance someone from school? The friend you mentioned before from Lawnhurst.
5: Oh, I couldn't possibly confirm or deny. Mm, I see. Against the code. As I said, one never sneaks. It's the unwritten
1: law. Mm.
3: It was the written law my new pupil wished to discuss that evening, and I decided that Pomeroy's wine bar was the perfect classroom in which to avoid the subject. Mm.
2: But, but surely the Sexual Offences Act of 1956... Oh,
3: please don't worry about the specific legislation, young Portia.
2: It's actually Philida. And
3: the only question you have to ask tonight is, should we have another glass of Chateau Thames Embankment, or should we make it the whole bottle? Ah, Rumpo. Oh, God. I've found you.
4: <laughs> Both of you. <laughs> what are we drinking?
3: We are drinking some vin Extremely Ordinaire. You can choose whatever you want at your own table, wherever that might be. Well, where don't
2: <laughs> I squeeze in here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not sure there's room. Oh, no,
4: well, we really ought to get better acquainted, given we'll be seeing so much of each other next week. What on earth do you mean? I begin you, in the Boarding house. Ah, oh, really? That's the one. And we're all in front of His Honour Judge Bullingham. Oh
3: God! Which practical joker picked the mad bull?
2: Mad bull?
4: <laughs> Rumpel has funny names for every judge he appears before. Indeed, you'll find Rumpole tries to be funny about most things. If you prefer a more serious pupil master, I hope you haven't come here to poach young
3: Porter. I'm, I mean, Philadelph.
4: Uh, uh, I've come here merely to discuss the case against Mister Napier Lee. Do you know much about brothels, Miss Trent? Have you had any experience
2: in that line of work? I've never been a prostitute, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> oh, good Lord,
4: no, I, I wasn't suggesting I... Uh, no, of course you've never been. I, uh, well, not that you couldn't, if you wanted, uh, and charge an awful lot, but... Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's up to time. Uh, I really want to be going. Uh, good night, Rumpel. <laughs> good night, Miss... Uh, Miss um, uh...
2: <laughs> Is he always like that?
3: Oh, I'm afraid so. But you dealt with him extremely well. Whenever he tries to proposition the attractive young women in chambers, it's usually they who end up going puce with embarrassment.
2: (laughs) Do you think of me as an attractive young woman, Mr. Rumpole?
3: I... I think... um, I... I think... um, it's, It's time I went home. "'The truth, of course, was that I viewed my new pupil "'as one of the most beautiful note-takers "'with whom I'd ever had the pleasure of working. "'Her appearance in wig gown, stiff collar, white bands, "'and horn-trimmed spectacles was, to my mind, "'one of flagrant sexuality.' But I remained professional and never let my standards slip to the level of an Erskine Brown. Together, we read through the evidence, and by the time Judge Bullingham took his place in Court 3 of the Old Bailey, I was prepared for most eventualities, though not as it transpired for the legal bombshell that was about to be detonated by Miss Trant herself.
2: Lots of press here, Mr Rumpole.
3: Oh, yes. Well, they love a good story about prominent citizens convorting with winner of ill repute in a large house just a stone's throw from Parliament.
2: Good Lord! I knew that girl! Where? Over there! She must be some kind of journalist.
3: Sitting in the press box? Well, one would certainly hope so.
5: All rise. All those with any business Uh, before my Lords, the Queen's justices, come forth and give their attendance. God save the Queen. I swear by Almighty God
0: that I will faithfully try the defendant and give a true verdict I will according faithfully to the
2: evidence. Try the defendant and give a true verdict. With
3: the jury sworn the in, Erskine Brown embarked on his opening speech. I closed my eyes, hoping to indicate that nothing he said could possibly be of the slightest interest.
4: Decent men, family men, men who earn the respect of the community and were placed in positions of trust, mm-hmm. found themselves tempted by this house. 66, Barnardine Square. Some of you, members of the jury, Mm. may know the area of Victoria. You may know its brightly lit avenues and busy railway station. I'm sure none of you know the darker streets where the market is in human flesh. Men left that particular house with their consciences burdened with guilt and their wallets lightened. In the case of one of the witnesses I'm about to call the financial gain to the man who exercised this appalling trade was considerably more. My lord, this is the subject of Count Two of the indictment.
3: I opened my eyes as the judge weighed in.
0: Yes, Mr Erskine Brown. The blackmail.
3: The bull looked at the jury to remind them that this was a very grave charge indeed, and then glowered at me as though it were all my fault.
0: Members of the
4: jury... A suitable motto to be written up over the door of 66 Barnardine Square was that which Dante chose for his inferno. Mm. Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. Because, of course, once he was in the door and once the spiders got to know who he was, the fly was trapped. He couldn't get away. And, if he was a man who enjoyed a high and responsible position... He would pay anything to buy the silence of the defendant.
3: The jury looked at Mr. Lee as he sat in the dock, legs neatly crossed, hair neatly combed, and quite possibly dyed. The usher brought into court a tall, distinguished-looking man wearing a dark suit, a striped shirt, and a guard's tie. He walked with the stiff, upper-lipped expression of an officer and gentleman marching out to face a firing squad... Once in the witness box, he lifted the Bible, raised his eyes to heaven, and repeated the oath as though it were his last will and testament.
5: And nothing but the truth. So help me God.
3: When he had finished, he put the good book down and turned to face the fusillade of Erskine Brown's questions. I quickly gave vent to a loud mutter. Name, please.
4: My lord, I would like to make the usual application in a case of blackmail. I ask that this witness should be known simply as Mr. X and that your Lordship directs the ladies and gentlemen of the press not to repeat his name under any circumstances. That
0: seems very proper order to make in view this gentleman's position. I imagine you have no objection, Mr Rumpole. I would have no objection, my Lord,
3: provided a similar concession is made for the benefit of my client. My Lord, uh, perhaps
0: we should continue with this argument in the absence of the jury. Uh, Oh, very well. Members of the jury... Unfortunately, legal matters arise from time to time, which have to be resolved. Would you go to your room, please? We shouldn't have to keep you there for very long.
3: (laughs) The jury filed out, grateful for a smoke and a cup of old Bailey coffee. I noticed that the girl in the press box was writing furiously in her notebook. But then the bull fixed me with a malevolent eye.
0: Mr. Rumpel, did I hear a somewhat unusual argument with regard to the defendant in this case... That he should be known as Mr. Y or Mr. Z? Why not, my lord? Why? Why not,
3: Mr. Rumpel? My client has suffered a barrage of prejudicial publicity in the newspapers, but this witness can creep into court under cover of a letter from the alphabet to preserve his precious
0: respectability? There is no charge against the witness. He is innocent of any crime. And so is my client, until he's proven guilty. Or doesn't that rule still apply in your lordship's court?
1: Mr. Rumpel!
0: This court is entitled to some respect. Your application is refused. Your client's name can be published and his case reported in full. Mr. Erskine Brown, I suppose the argument concerning this witness uh, would be that uh, if his secrets were uh, exposed to the public, then the the threat of blackmail would have... uh, in effect, been successful? Your lordship puts it so much better than I ever could.
1: Oh,
3: God.
0: And your answer to that, Mr Rumpel. What blackmail are we talking about?
3: There hasn't yet been a word of evidence concerning blackmail. Nothing has been proved. Nothing. In my submission, your lordship cannot make a decision based on unproven allegations, and we must consider one more thing. Must we? British justice is meant to take place in public. Justice is not to be seen cowering behind an initial, be it X, Y, or Z.
0: Is that all, Mr. Rumpel?
3: I think your lordship has my argument.
0: Yes, I think I do. And I'll give my judgment now, so the witness may have his lunch with some degree of peace of mind. The defendant, through his counsel seems particularly anxious that this gentleman's patronage of the alleged house of ill repute should become widely known to the public. If that were allowed, it would be a blackmailer's charter. No victim would ever dare to go to the police. I am determined that this witness's high reputation shall be protected. He will give his evidence to the jury as Mr X after luncheon. Thank you, Mr. Erskine Brown. All right. As
3: the judge left for his luncheon, I gathered up my papers with a look and feeling of dejection. Outside the court I saw Philip de Trent, my learned note taker, in close conversation with the girl from the press box.
2: And I'll meet you here about half past one. Oh, Mr. Rumpole. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh,
3: We should visit Mr. Lee and get something to eat. Steak and kidney put, boss.
2: Oh, Hmm. yum-yum.
3: Who was that you were talking to?
2: Isabel Vincent. She was a prefect when I was at Benenden. It seems she's just joined the Evening Standard. As a hack? They do have female journalists on the paper. I believe the toilet accommodation is pretty impressive.
3: And I'm sure the women are every bit as devious as their male colleagues.
2: Oh, Izzy's not devious. She's incredibly bright. At school, I rather hero-worshipped her. But i found a new hero now. Oh? You, Mr. Rumpole.
3: Don't be silly.
2: Oh, you were splendid in court. Really fighting for your client.
3: Yeah. I fear I was merely going through the motions heading towards a graceful defeat.
2: Well, I think it's jolly unfair keeping his name a secret, The main witness. Whose identity, I imagine,
3: you know. He signed the deposition, so yes, I know his name. We passed through the carefully preserved door of Old Newgate Prison, and were admitted to the dungeon department, where Mr Napier Lee seemed strangely pleased by his lordship's decision.
5: I'm glad the judge refused your application, Mr Rumpole. It would be ghastly to see Mr X's name splashed around the papers. All the chaps who came to my house knew they could trust me.
3: Yes, yes, the old boy, net, But this fellow, Mr
5: X, as I now have to call him, he sneaked on you. Why not return the favour? That's not how it works. Whatever he's done, I have to do the decent thing. Well, what you might have to do is five years for blackmail. Why the gas bill? I'm sorry? Mr X paid one of your gas bills. Why? Well, he was always very sweet very kind, even at school when some of the other boys... The the bills used to lie on my hall table, and he just offered to pay one on my behalf.
2: How did he pay?
5: What? Did he take it away, come back with the receipt? No, no, he left the right amount, sealed in a little blue envelope. Ah. Cash? With a compliment slip from his office, the amount written down and the date... And I remember he signed in purple ink. Purple ink. How very distinctive.
3: Mr. X is either very naive or... Or what? I don't know. And I fear we may never get a chance to find out. Hmm. <laughs> Our visit to the cells had left us so little time that Miss Trant and I were forced to seek sustenance in the old Bailey's bar mess. It was a place I tried to avoid since it was always full of barristers. My reluctance to mingle with my learned friends was justified when we put down our sandwiches on the long table and found ourselves sitting opposite Erskine Brown. He was peeling himself a chocolate biscuit. Are you a
4: fan of Wagner, Miss Trant?
2: Actually, no. His operas are far too long.
3: Huh. Much like the opening speeches of a certain counsel for the prosecution.
1: <laughs>
3: I have a spare ticket tonight for Siegfried. Oh, really? What would you and Siegfried be watching?
4: No, Rumpole. I'm inviting Miss Trent to join me at Covent Garden to enjoy the opera that's called Siegfried. Don't do it, Portia.
2: I'm actually meeting an old friend tonight.
4: Oh, boyfriend?
2: Girlfriend. We went to boarding school together.
4: Really? <laughs> Midnight feasts in the dorm, getting up to mischief with the lights out, and that sort of thing.
2: <laughs> Are you all right, Mr. Erskine Brown? You've gone awfully pink.
4: Fresh air, that's what I need, uh, if, you, if you'll excuse me.
2: <laughs> Actually, I'd better go too, Mr. Rumpole. I promise to meet Izzy before we start again. No. Do you really think we're going to lose?
3: I'm afraid so. Unless... Oh, no, that doesn't seem likely. What doesn't? Another witness. A witness who knows something about Mr. X. But no one's going to help us while his name remains a secret. Aye, young Portia. There's the rub.
2: Hamlet. Act 3, Scene 1.
3: <laughs> Back in Court 3, the gentleman in the guard's tie gave his damning evidence of blackmail to an attentive jury and an appreciative mad bull. It wasn't until later in the afternoon that I rose to cross-examine. Uh, you won't mind me calling you Mr. X? Mr. X? No, I thought you wouldn't. Now, Mr. X,
0: for how long were you an habitué of this house of ill repute? Very, Mr. Rumpole. Does that make the slightest bit of difference? Please answer the question. Uh, unless my lord rules against it on a point of law...
5: I had been visiting there for about five years.
3: On your way home from directing the nation's international affairs? Mr. Rumpole. Very well. On your way home from your office, before you lost yourself in the bosom of your family, you lost yourself, or rather you paid a visit to the ladies of number 66 Barnardine Square. Yes. How did you first hear
0: of the place? A bit of gossip at the club? An advertisement in the Times personal column? (laughs) (laughs) Members of the jury, please. please. Uh, Mr. X, the question was, how did you first hear of the place?
5: I heard about it
0: from a friend. An old friend? A friend of long standing? Mr. Rumpole, what has this got to do with it? My lord, I'm fighting this case in the dark with my hands tied behind my back against a prosecution witness who's chosen to shelter behind a screen of anonymity. I really think I should be allowed to cross-examine him as I think fit. Very well. But it remains to be seen if these questions will do our client any good in the eyes of the jury. Mr. X,
3: was this friend you mentioned someone you'd known from your school days? Yes. You'd kept up with him?
5: No, we met again after an interval of a good many years. Where did you meet? In a pub. A bar, actually. Near Victoria Station?
3: In that area, yes. And when you met your friend, what did your friend tell you he'd been up to lately?
5: He said he'd been unlucky. Some trouble with his professional reputation. But he said he had a house... Nearby, from which he was hoping to start a new business.
3: A new business in agreeable ladies? Yes. Hmm. How long ago was this meeting in a bar near Victoria Station? About five years. And the school friend we're talking about, was it the defendant, Mr. Lee? Yes. I'm sorry? Yes. You'd known each other ever since the two of you met at Lawnhurst School, what, um, 45 years ago? And since you met again just five years ago, Mr. Lee could have blackmailed you at any time he chose. Yes. But he made no suggestion of the kind until a few months ago. That's correct. Just after you paid a gas bill. Uh this bill. I don't know what bill you... You left the cash to settle the account along with a compliment slip and a handwritten receipt, signed in purple ink. Why? Why? Why leave evidence that you were a visitor to this house of ill repute? Was it because you wanted proof on which to base this unfounded allegation of blackmail?
5: No. Uh, I suppose I, I... I didn't really think about it. Hmm. Thank you, Mr.
3: X. After a statutory glass or two of Chateau Thames' embankment followed by one or two more, I headed home to the mansion flat of 25B, Froxbury Court, in the Gloucester Road. She Who Must was knitting some garment. I've no idea what it was, except that it was long and pink and no doubt destined for her old school friend, Dodo Mackintosh. I was smoking a small cigar, watching the tide go down in a glass of Pomeroy's Very Ordinary, when She Who Must asked me, not with the air of someone who intended to listen to the answer,
2: "'Went the day well?'
3: You could describe it as a nightmare.
2: You mean it didn't go well?
3: I mean, the mad bull is madder than ever, and my client thinks it's in the best public school tradition to get convicted of blackmail.
2: And what about silk? What progress in that department?
3: Oh, I've written to Keith What's-His-Name, asking him about my chances.
2: If you don't become a QC, we can't send Nicholas to school. Well,
3: we could send him to a local school.
2: Oh, don't be absurd.
3: Oh, absurd, really? The prospect of bumping into your very own son every day appalls you, does it?
2: We must give him the best education money can buy. But
3: if we don't have any money... Then you must
2: find it!
3: <laughs> of course, Hilda. Of course. Oh, my God. Have you seen this? I had turned to the page of my evening standard to find the byline of one Isabel Vincent. Oh, good Lord! What is it, Rumpel? It is believed that Mr X is, in fact, a senior civil servant at the Foreign Office. Sir Cuthbert Pericles is just one of the men highly placed in public life who are alleged to have visited the house in Barnardine Square. Oh, God. Do you hear that, Hilda? Hear what? A loud noise from Kensington. I think Judge Bullingham just exploded. The next day his honour was still in one piece, sadly, but breathing heavily and more purple than ever. I wondered if we might witness a spontaneous combustion as he delivered a judgment on Miss Isabel Vincent of the Evening Standard, who stood in the well of the court... As apologetic as St. Joan when called to answer a charge of heresy before the Inquisition.
0: In almost half a century's experience at the bar and on the bench, I have never known such a flagrant, wicked and inexcusable contempt of court. Your editor and publisher will be investigated. And if anyone here connected to these proceedings had anything to do with this matter... Was he glaring at me? They will be sought out... And punished.
3: And then a miracle happened. Miss Trant whispered the news that a man from the Foreign Office was waiting to give evidence, and would I like to call him first?
0: Of course, I want him first. I will send the papers to the proper quarter in order that it may be decided what action shall be taken against this most foolish and wicked young woman.
3: (laughs) Isabel left the court with her head held high and with a meaningful glance at Miss Trant who was still talking to me. You said
0: we
2: needed a witness who knows something about Mr. X.
3: Before I could take in all the new information thrust in front of me, the show was on the road again, and I was opening our defence to the jury. Um, m- members of the jury, it is <clears throat> my, my duty to outline to you the evidence I will call, which includes a witness who may be able to penetrate the pall of secrecy which has fallen over this case. "'He may have the bad manners and rotten taste "'to tell us the truth about the evidence. "'He may be able to cast aside the old boy net. "'So let me call... Uh, let, "'Let me call... "'Who am I calling?'
2: "'Mr. Stephen Lucas.'
0: "'Mr. Stewart.
2: "'Stephen.'
0: "'Stephen?'
3: "'Lucas.' "'Lucas!' "'A man came into court, entered the witness box "'and promised to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth.' He was a smaller, fatter, more jovial type of person than Mr X, but when he spoke it was with the impatient confidence of someone who had spent many years in a trusted position in the corridors of power. I quickly tried to read the notes prepared for me by Miss Trent. So, Mr and Lucas? Quite so. Are you... are you a member of the Foreign Office Legal Department? Yes, I am. Good, good. And do you know the witness who we are calling Mr. X? He's still in court, so you can identify him,
0: if you wish. I know that witness, yes. Are you a friend of his? Uh, We uh, meet in the Foreign Office now and again. I would say I've known him fairly well over a long period. Do you remember having lunch with him at his club about a year ago? Yes. Was that at his invitation? Yes, it was. What did you discuss? Well, uh, a number of things. Uh, The work of my department, and so on. And then he asked me some questions about contempt of court. He seemed to want my opinion as a lawyer. Uh, It's not really my subject, but I told him what I knew. Uh, What aspect of the law was Mr X particularly interested in? In the court's power to order that the name of a witness in a blackmail case should be kept secret, perhaps forever. I remember him saying that if you didn't want your name to come out in a particular scandal, or something of that sort... All you have to do would be to accuse someone of blackmail. Mr Lucas, what made you remember this conversation? It was last night. I was travelling home on the train when I turned the page of my evening stand, and there it was, the name of, uh, uh, of Mr X. So, Mr
4: Lucas, you would never have come here to give evidence if there hadn't been a flagrant contempt of court... Uh, Mr. X's name hadn't been printed in the newspaper.
0: It is, of course, most unfortunate, Mr. Erskine Brown. But I can't exclude this evidence. But you agree it is most unfortunate? It is most unfortunate, yes. But the harm's been done.
3: Mr. Lee gave evidence and denied the blackmail in a pained sort of way. He answered Erskine Brown's passionate denunciations with excessively polite murmurs of dissent, and then, almost before I knew it, Final speech time was upon us. Members of the jury. Mr. X could not stop popping into the friendly house in Barnardine Square. But he was terrified the place might be raided and his name would come out in the ensuing scandal. So he hit on this somewhat over-ingenious device. A compliment slip signed by him in purple ink. A sure proof that he had paid money on behalf of Mr. Lee could lay the basis for a trumped-up blackmail charge that would keep his name a secret forever. It was an elaborate plan, complicated, expensive and entirely futile. Just the sort of plan you may think that would occur to someone high up in the government of our country. Why was it futile? Because Mr X need have had no fear. Mr. Lee would never have betrayed his pathetic little secrets. He had his pathetic little code. For Mr. Lee, it was a question of morality. The judge summed up, the jury stayed out for three hours, and for the disorderly house, Napier Lee got six months. For the blackmail,
5: he was found not guilty. It was such a wonderful win on the blackmail, Mr. Rumpel. Bravo. He
2: was terrific, wasn't he? Oh,
5: bash now, both of you. I only hope Custard doesn't think I sneaked on the poor dear. Who the hell's Custard? Pericles. His first name is Cuthbert, so we called him Custard at (laughs) Lawnhurst. Yes, very amusing. I imagine prison will be just like my old school. I fear it'll be more like my old school. You never told me where you went. And you haven't told me where I can find you when I regain my freedom. Why would you want to find me? To celebrate. You've been so marvellous throughout this whole business, Mr Rumpole. You must let me treat you to a weekend away. I know this wonderful hotel near Maidenhead, and I won't take no for an answer.
3: But no was all he got, as Miss Trant and I left him in his cell and decamped to Pomeroy's wine bar, where I laid down the law. You had better learn something quickly, young Corsha. If you want to be a barrister, you must obey the rules.
2: I don't know what you mean.
3: Really? Well, I doubt Miss Isabel Vincent will reveal her sources. She's all out for glorious martyrdom, and I bet she doesn't want to share her publicity with anyone. What I think you should do right now is look at the law regarding contempt of court. (laughs) We want to stop your friend Izzy from going to jail, don't we?
2: I'll work all night if I have to to find the relevant cases to protect us. I I mean, her. I'm
3: going to have to go home. I'll uh, I'll see you in the morning.
2: I'm looking forward to it.
3: Yes. Yes, me too. And I was gone. Back to a darkened bedroom smelling of misery and mouthwash. I was about to undress when she who must be obeyed turned over in the bed and made it clear (sighs) she was neither asleep... Nor have
2: a letter arrived this morning, from Pole.
3: Oh, yes, from Dodo Mackingtons.
2: No, from Keith Watts's name, in the Lord Chancellor's office.
3: Why on earth was Keith writing to you?
2: The letter was addressed to you, but I knew you wouldn't mind if I opened it.
3: As a matter Keith of fact... Keith says
2: there is no prospect of you taking silk this year, next year, or in the foreseeable future.
3: I told you I was far too young.
2: Age has nothing to do with it. Keith says you lack gravitas. Huh? And you're rude to all the judges. Not all of them. Name one you treat with respect.
3: Well, well, actually, no, I, I don't have to answer the question, because you shouldn't be cross-examining me, Hilda. You've no right to open my correspondence.
1: I have
2: every right. I am your wife.
3: And not a day goes by I don't... I don't remind myself of the facts,
2: Perhaps you should sleep elsewhere tonight, Rumpel. Oh, I intend to. Why are you putting your jacket back on? Where are you going, Rumpole? Rumpel! Rumpel!
3: And without the money for a hotel room, I made my way towards the only comfortable sofa I knew in central London.
4: Good Lord, Rumpole. What on earth are you doing in Chambers at this time of night? Well, I'm I'm back in court tomorrow. Thought I'd better
3: review the evidence.
4: For a case of careless driving? In Uxbridge? How on
3: earth did you know?
4: (laughs) Henry keeps me abreast of what my peers are up to.
3: Mm. I suppose you're prosecuting an alleged murderer or something else befitting a queer customer?
4: Yeah. Actually, I didn't quite cut the mustard on this occasion... It seems the Queen does not want me as her counsel.
3: No silk stockings for you, then. At least, not at work.
4: (laughs) Oh, yes. Very funny. By the way, what do you think of that new girl, uh, Philida Thingamay?
3: Philida Trant. In Belmont is a lady richly left, and she is fair, and fairer than that word, of wondrous virtues.
4: As you like it?
3: The Merchant of Venice.
4: Again? I think you're obsessed with Portia.
3: I think perhaps he was right.
2: <coughs> Mr. Rumpole, oh. Good evening.
3: Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I had no idea you'd still be here. Oh.
2: There are so many cases with implications for Izzy. And... Whoever told her the name of Mr X.
3: We both know who that was, don't we? Do we? Stop working now. Go home. Go to bed.
2: What will you do? By yourself?
3: I will enjoy being by myself.
2: It's none of my business, I'm sure. But is there some reason you're not at home with your wife?
3: It it is indeed none of your business, and there is indeed a reason I'm not with my wife.
2: Will you protect me from the law?
3: I'll I'll do my very, very best. Now, here, let me uh, help you on with your coat. Oh,
2: you're awfully kind.
3: There, just pull up the collar. Thank you. you quite sure you meant to do that?
2: Do you wish I hadn't?
3: I only came here to get some sleep on, on, on the sofa.
2: You do look very tired. Perhaps you should sit.
3: Perhaps I should. Will you join me? I feel guilty.
1: You've done nothing wrong. Yet
0: in Rumpole and the Old Boynet by John Mortimer, Horace Rumpole was played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Hilda, Jasmine Hyde, and Claude Erskine Brown. Nigel Anthony Sir Cuthbert and Mr Lee were played by Ewan Bailey Phyllida Trant, Cathy Sarah and Judge Bullingham and Stephen Lucas Stephen Critchlow Other parts were played by members of the company Rumpole and the Old Boy Net was adapted by Richard Stoneman directed by Marilyn Imrie and is a Catherine Bailey production for BBC Radio 4